Today on Soundtrack Alley, you'll hear as I regale you with Gremlin Sue, the new batch from 1990. I'll discuss some background on the film, some of the neat tidbits, as well as going deeply into the score from the film by Jerry Goldsmith. It's all today, and it begins now. host Randy Andrews. Today I'm discussing Gremlins 2 The New Batch. In thinking on this film, I didn't see it until much later after it came out. It was most likely on DVD and enjoyed it at, say, a random time. I enjoyed the film for what it was and thought it was quirky and dark, but I loved the score and all the goofiness of the movie. Even when the cameos appeared in the film, it was rewatchable for me. Uh, let's get into some of the background on the movie. The uplifting end of the world scene was included by the filmmakers when they found out that one of the news networks actually had such a video prepared to run in case of the end of the world. CNN has a video for this purpose in its archive, and its staff are instructed to hold the video for release until the end of the world is confirmed. <laughs> Leonard Maltlin appears as himself, repeating his criticisms of Gremlins 1, while he holds a video version of the movie. However, his rant is cut short when Gremlins pounce on him as a result. In his annual movie guide, he gave the movie three stars out of possible four and refers to this scene as a gratuitous cameo, though he doesn't say he's actually appearing in the movie. And this is one of those instances where it feels like it's breaking the fourth wall. And it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy those moments sometimes when they take you out of the movie, but you're still in the movie. Now, unlike the PG-rated predecessor, the MPAA rated this movie PG-13. And it should be noted that Gremlins was one of the movies that helped create the PG-13 rating. Now, in the movie, uh, when Billy is trying to explain the rules regarding the Mogwai to F Forrester's staff, they find them quite absurd and interrogate him on the application of this rule. This scene originates from the fact that the filmmakers themselves saw the rules as irrational, and some questions in the scene are based upon queries raised by fans of Gremlins 1. At one point in this movie, director Joe Dante attempted to involve his audience in the story by making it seem as if the Gremlins had taken over whatever theater in which this movie would be screened. 
The sequence was inspired by a similar stunt in William Castle's The Tingler. During his DVD commentary for this movie, Dante recalled that Warner Brothers wanted the sequence cut. As they were concerned, the audience would believe the film actually had malfunctioned. Test screening ultimately proved otherwise. However, the video version caused problems. Instead of film-breaking effects, the scene looked like a VHS malfunctioning. Many rental copies were returned as a result of this, and video mastering houses called the filmmakers to ask them if this was intentional. Uh, I really like that. It's so much fun. And then an, there's another point in this very scene where the mother scolding the theater manager regarding the movie's inappropriate tone for children was based in fact. During a screening of Gremlins during with director Joe Dante, he really was severely criticized by a mother who walked out of the theater with her daughter during the infamous kitchen massacre sequence. The daughter begged to be let back into the theater, got free from her mother, and hid in the theater to watch the rest of the movie. At one point, one of the ideas for the end of the movie was that the gremlins were supposed to be killed by Daniel Clamp, filling the building up with cement. That was until the animators discovered that they had the technology to create an electrical gremlin, which they realized could improve the storyline and its ending. Most of the scenes where Gizmo or the other Mogwai were on their own, they were filmed with double-scale puppets, so they were much larger. Now, also, here's something to note that Joe Dante actually prefers this movie to the original because he was able to do whatever he wanted to do. And here's why. After Gremlins became such a su surprise success, Warner Brothers immediately wanted a sequel, but Joe Dante had enough Gremlins for a while and declined. Work on this movie proceeded without him as the studio approached various directors and writers. Storylines considered included sending the Gremlins to cities like Las Vegas or even the planet Mars. After these ideas fell through, the studio finally asked Dante again, who agreed on condition that he'd be allowed to do anything he wanted. He also received a bigger budget. In the DVD commentaries for Gremlins and this movie, Dante stated that he felt that this movie was a case of wanting, waiting too long to capitalize on the success of Gremlins, which hurt this movie's choice of success. In the scene where Mohawk drinks a potion which enables him to change into a centroid spider, the pulsating sound effect is from Tarantula from 1955. And then the effect was originally recorded for the Martian war machines in the War of the Worlds. The heavy metal song that plays in the background is one of the guitar solos from the band Slayer's 1986 song, Angel of Death. In a corridor of the Clamp Tower, one nameplate says, Vectorscope Labs. This is a reference to the movie Inner Space, who, which was also directed by Joe Dante. And they could reside in the same universe. There's also a sample of action music from The Burbs in this movie. 
And of course, that movie was also composed by Jerry Goldsmith. When the Bat Gremlin flies out of the Clamp Tower after being injected with a sunblock solution. Now, Robert Picardo controlled Greta, the female gremlin, when it was attached to him instead of the puppeteers, because the puppet had so much contact and movements with his character. This technique was also used in the scene where Daniel Clamp pushed the gremlin into the paper shredder. Now, composer Jerry Goldsmith also wrote the music for the Rambo film series called First Blood, and he also did First Blood Part II, uh, where John Rambo's line, to survive a war, you've got to become a war. And that is in this film as well. Now, Clam's automatic office doors open and sound the same as the doors of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701, from the original series. Now, as the Bat Gremlin crashes through the wall, escaping into the city, it leaves a hole in the shape of the Batman symbol. In 1989, the year before this film's release, Warner Brothers had a huge box office hit with, of course, Batman. And John Glover did the voice of Edward Nigma, aka the Riddler in Batman the Animated Series, on the DCAU. So that's actually kind of cool as well. Now, with the intervening advancements in the special effects technology from Gremlins, and the Gremlins are much more animated in this movie, they're seen walking and dancing and doing all kinds of crazy things. Uh, It shows the advancement in the technology that they could actually do. This was even ranked number 33 in 50 of greatest movie sequels ever. Now, there's also two different scenes used in the movie, uh, which we've talked about before. Uh, Once, where the gremlins invade the projection booth for the theatrical and cable TV releases, the theater owner, played by Paul Bartell, asks famed wrestling champ Hulk Hogan to threaten the gremlins, who start the movie up right away, And in the home video version, Hogan's cameo is replaced by footage of John Wayne from the movie Chisholm, but with a voice impersonator to stand in for the late John Wayne. I thought that was interesting, too. Now, also, we get a composer cameo in this movie. We have Jerry Goldsmith's final cameo appearance in a theatrical movie in this sequel uh, to Gremlins. The scene where the organ-playing phantom gremlin is unmasked is an exact replica of the scene from Phantom of the Opera in 1925. Now, the same year, Robert Picardo did voice work on the Arnold Schwarzenegger science fiction thriller Total Recall, which we'll cover later on in my podcast, and I think you'll enjoy it, uh, in which... Robert Picardi voiced uh, Johnny Cab, and so I think you'll find that fun. Immediately after Billy electrocutes the gremlins in the lobby, a musical quote from the Dies Irae, uh, which is a Latin hymn about the Judgment Day, can be heard in the musical score, which is very interesting and very unique. Now let's get into the soundtrack portion of our show. 
One important fact I found with this score is the most recent release of the album through Verez Saraband, with the liner notes by Robert Townsend. Joe Dante even impressed upon the audience of the album to appreciate the work he did with Jerry Goldsmith, who since the recording of the release had died in 2004. Jerry Goldsmith took the film in a whole new direction and created a masterful, quirky score in his own unique brand and style. The same lead actors, of course, reprise their roles in the sequel, and the score to Gremlins 2 is just as iconic as the first. Now, one of Jerry Goldsmith's influences for the score stemmed from The Burbs, which is another delightful dark comedy and one of my favorite soundtracks by Goldsmith. With the 25th anniversary edition of the score, the film gets some cues previously not included, and that is always unique and fun. One of the main cues for the score that stand out at the beginning of the cue, it's called Cute which reintroduces Gizmo in this wonderfully placed moment. The events of the film rollick and go nuts by leaps and bounds, creating a crazy new experience. I appreciate this cue with what it does, though. It presents us our hero without too much backstory and gives us a Gizmo who is comfortable in his own skin. There are some sneaky elements in this part, that shift and create the mayhem yet to ensue. Let's begin by playing this cue.
The next cue that really should be highlighted is the escape of Gizmo from the laboratory where Billy finds Gizmo. The cue is called Gizmo Escapes, and it begins where Billy is already taking Gizmo from the lab. The music grows quiet, but really gentle, and I really like the action in this cue as well. It shows some of the danger in the motifs, and there's some subtle wind noises in the score that you hear the gremlin's rag gently played in the background as the action starts ramping up. For now, enjoy the cue Gizmo Escapes.
In the next cue I'd like to present is Leaky Faucet. This really presents a lot of Goldsmith's mania material in a masterful cue that shows the danger and the comedy of the disaster that is when Gizmo gets wet. It creates a brand new Mogwai and the ensuing gremlins. We get the main gremlins theme included in this cue, and Goldsmith really ramps up the tension, but also includes elements from the burbs, with various sounds that are included that make, you, make it sound goofy and off the wall. I hope you can really enjoy this cue called Leaky Faucet.
Some of the screwball comedy bits are included in the next cue called Potluck. When the gremlins go on a rampage, scaring people in a yogurt shop, breaking into the lab and ingesting different formulas, including what makes certain gremlins stand out, such as the brain gremlin, which I love, the bat gremlin, even spider gremlin, and electric gremlin. These are all heightened in the queue with some terrifying wind sounds, making the action more terrifying and ominous. I honestly hope you can enjoy this wacky action that it actually gets your toes tapping with the subtle theme bouncing along in the background. <laughs>
Some of the cues today I won't play because it's a lot more of the mayhem of the Gremlins. One track that I think should be included, though, is Short, which is called On the Track, where Gizmo starts to be tortured by the various Gremlins, which leads him to take control of what he knows, and the material is reminiscent of Rambo First Blood Part 2. It gives us more of our hero moment for Gizmo. So here is the track on the track, workout, something new, and the bag. Two more tracks to cover here. Uh, one is a gremlin pudding. The idea that they use the electric gremlin to destroy his fellow gremlins. And this scene is very highly animated and very uniquely done. Um, it destroys most of all the gremlins and really turns them into pudding. And then Gizmo is put to use for his own revenge against Mohawk Gremlin, uh, which is essentially the new Spike. And it's very fun stuff and really unique sounds in this cue. Again, I really like how Goldsmith uses the synth chords to express what he needs to do in the cue. And Goldsmith has always been really good at this kind of writing and this kind of composing and it makes me appreciate his other work so much more and you'll hear me talk about this on my show for Total Recall uh, later on. So here now we'll play Gremlin Pudding.
Sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing the theme today. I'd also like to say that this is Soundtrack Alley's holiday episode. Uh, it revolves around Christmas time once again, and it is a load of fun. The ending Gremlin credits is one of Jerry Goldsmith's full ending suites, and it includes material from the main themes that we get in the film, and briefly from the original. I really have enjoyed this score. I think it's one of Goldsmith's finest comedy scores, where he gets to play around with different noises and sound effects, including synth sounds as well. Even though this episode is exclusively on Soundtrack Alley, you can find more Soundtrack Alley over at Cinematic Sound Radio, where you'll soon hear the Stargate episode. And also, you can hear my catalog of Anime Spectacular over there. So find me through social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Soundtrack Alley. Email me, SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com, and check out the fine programming over at the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. So to close the show today, you'll hear Gremlin credits, and until next time, take care, and happy listening.
thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley. If you are an Apple podcast, please give the show a five-star rating. Check out the content over at SoundtrackAlley.com, as well as Cinematic Sound Radio, where most of my new material is posted. If you have a comment, question, or concern, please email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com. 